Thank you all for joining me here in my dressing room. I have long thought about my legacy, what I leave behind for future generations who won't have the benefit of my pithy movie reviews. Well, thanks to a few disreputable geneticists on the NBC payroll, don't ask, behold, the Charlotte-saurus! Charlotte-saurus! Review Jurassic Park! <laughs> Jurassic Park? More like your ass dick fart! See the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. How dare you, sir! Don't listen to him, Charlotte-saurus! You've got this! You've got this! <laughs> What's love got to do with it? More like butt glove snot poo poo widget. Oh, Charlotte-saurus, come on, that's gold. Don't you see the danger uh, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. I suppose now you're going to tell me I shouldn't have shot all those people. I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, did anyone ask you, motherfucker? Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. Charlotte-saurus, attack! You know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. Attack, I says! What are you waiting for? You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. Will you stop waxing your goddamn mustache and eat this guy? You stood on the shoulders of geniuses. I'll have you know, I stand on every part of the genius. We shall, it's a good that way. Uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could. Well, that's how a pie-eating contest works, numbnuts. And before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. Oh, come on. Would you be able to eat with that face staring back at you? Uh, no offense, Charlotte-saurus. And now you're selling it. Hey, watch out for my table. You want to sell it, well? God damn it. How many times do I have to tell you this table is a piece of shit? I, could one of my scientists get in here and fix this? Could you please, scientists? Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. What have you got against my frigging table, Goldblum? Charlotte-saurus, attack! Coming soon. This summer, at theaters everywhere, opening weekend, Rated R. Welcome to episode 53 of Opening Weekend. I am Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we're rocketing back to June 11th, 1993. Cliffhanger, Made in America, and Super Mario Brothers taught the world to laugh, cry, and hate themselves just two short weeks earlier, but it was now time for the big guns of the summer movie box office. <laughs> no, not Arnold Schwarzenegger and Last Action Hero, but rather Sam Neill. Sam Neill. <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Oh, and at the same time, the greatest acting you've ever seen in your life was happening in that empty theater on the other end of the multiplex. That's right. It's Angela Bassett and What's Love Got to Do With It? But before we dive into the week's movies, Fred and Dan, where were you guys in June of 1993? 
I was just finishing up my, no, I was done. I was done with my junior year of college. This was, oh, I know exactly where we were at this point. You were with me. Yeah. No, we weren't there yet. I don't think. Yeah, no, we, another, mm-hmm. another week or two. We yeah, were ramping right. up to do our first season of Summerstock at the Fort Salem Theater, which was All talked right. about on this podcast before. So this was, so I just finished my junior year at, at Hofstra University. And at this point I was working, I was killing time. We had a few weeks before we left. So I was working at Berkeley Air Services, which was my friend, Josh Klamberg, who I've spoken about a lot and you guys know. Uh, his dad owned this company. It was a shipping company called Berkeley Air uh, mm. at JFK. So I would drive oh, yeah, to JFK yeah, yeah. every morning, like in the back of the airport. And I worked at this shipping company on and off. I think this was my last year working there. I would do there, would do work oh, there was over that the like summer. a thing for you through college? You worked yeah, there in the here time? and there. It was just over the summers and. I would, you know, menial work. I'd worked in the back and I stuffed envelopes and shit like that. And I can't even remember and, and drove around and dropped things off and did, did whatever they want. Basically, I was, I was doing at Princeton review. I was just going to say basically the work we did well into our adulthood. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's pretty, that's, that's, that's all I'm really capable of doing. Dirty 30. (laughs) Menial work. Yeah, so I was working there, and then I, I, yeah, and then we we headed off to to Fort Salem to mm-hmm. to do summer stock, and and when and was were this the, tea for two? Was this for you guys doing tea? Yeah, for two. The first thing we did was two. the nerd for tea. Yeah, oh yes, Fred and of I were in the nerd, and Annette, Annette Praviti, mm-hmm. uh, my my ex girlfriend, who mm-hmm. also went to Hofstra with us, and who yeah. we all got cast together um, out of from the, the SETC, the, the, no, the Straw Hats. No, was not straw hats because I never did straw hats. Oh, it was the one ECTCs. of those initials. It was the ECTCs because that was so it was the, the Eastern. Was it East Coast Theater Conference? East, oh, East, Co- East Coast Theater Conference. I, I yeah, and you I didn't get, even know what the fuck the thing meant. I went and auditioned <laughs> for him. I had no idea. Yeah. It was crazy because you would go, and that must have been, God, I always remember this. This is a funny story. Uh, it, it was a month. It was probably like a month earlier than this, you know, towards the end of school. And you what, what it was, you'd go. I can't remember where it was, but there'd be like, story. yeah, this was in Pennsylvania. I thought somewhere. Was in it? It might've been. Yeah. So we all like a bunch of us all drove there oh, and yeah. it's basically like hundreds of, you know, summer stock theaters and regional theaters and theme parks all, you know, on the East coast, they come and you go and you have like two minutes, you have to sing or do a monologue or whatever. Yeah. And then you get offers. And I remember, and I got, and I, I did pretty well. And I got a lot of, of offers, none of them good ones, but <laughs> like, I, I got like a lot of, you know, Ren fairs and little theaters. And I remember yep. there was w- one of the Ren, one of the Ren fairs really wanted me. We both got offered that same Ren fair. I think, I think we got offered Salem and one of the Ren. I got offered one of the Ren fairs, but I thought it was the same one. you. Did, they but. basically were like, so you start this day and I'm like, Oh, I'm still, I still have like three weeks of school. And they're <laughs> right. like, well, you don't need to do that. Do you? I'm like, go to college. They basically <laughs> were like, why don't you drop out of college so you can play Sir Reginald, you know, yeah. fuck face, you know, at the, <laughs> that's a good who's part. What's, Fred, that's a good part. Part. You should have dropped out. That's a good out. part. And maybe in retrospect, my career would have been in a different place now. Hello, I'm Reginald Fuckface. <laughs> Welcome to the Red Fair. Have a turkey leg, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> but my big decision was my two big offers, you know, which is so funny to say now because it was basically a difference like, am I going to make $110 a week or am I going to make $108 a week? <laughs> but it was Fort Salem Theater where I got offered some, you know, 
good roles in these plays. But then it was, I don't know if it was Hershey Park uh-huh. or some other theme park <laughs> in Pennsylvania, but it was to work on a trolley, to do the show on wow. the trolley. And these guys were giving me the hard sell. And I was like, <laughs> I might have to do this because the difference was. So that I don't disappoint them. <laughs> well, no. Well, here's the thing. Presentation <laughs> yeah. is everything, right? So at Fort Salem Theater, the guy who ran it, his name was Quentin, Quentin C. Beaver, C. Beaver, or as we like to say, Quentin C. Beaver. <laughs> Quentin like Beaver. Oh, Lord have mercy. That's what Jason would always say. Oh. Anyway, he was yes. he was a bit of a character. And he was sort of like, yeah, I mean, you could, if you want to play these roles, you know, you, you might do Little Shop of Horrors, you might do The Nerd. You know, it was very like loosey-goosey. Yeah. yeah, very vague. Whereas the, the trolley guys, I remember they were two like young, good-looking guys. They almost were dressed like Mormons. You know, they were like very well put together with the white button down shirts and the slacks. And they like presented the paperwork to me. They're like, we want you to do this. We loved you. Like they were really saying like, you know, we've all throwing all these compliments at me and just saying like, here are the benefits you're going to get. Not real benefits. I wasn't getting health insurance. It, was, it wasn't union, but like you'll live here. Like the housing seemed really nice. The, the fringe benefits of working in the park seemed really great. So I was like, wow, I might. I don't know. I might have to do this. And then I remember going back to to college on the campus and I was downstairs in the lobby of the John Cranford Adams Playhouse and I was really fretting. I had to make a decision. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And our friend John Jim Peacher came down and he was like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just having a, I'm having a real tough time trying to decide. And I'm bad with decisions anyway. I'm like cheaty from the good place. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I fully subscribe to, you know, Sartre's whole thing, like choice is hell. I can't make a decision, <laughs> but I was really, this, this seemed, this was like my first, you know, maybe professional decision that I'd be making, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm getting ready to leave college. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do. And I sort of laid out on the table to him, you know, the office I got. And he was like, uh-huh. Uh huh. And I remember he took a little piece of he took a little piece of scrap paper and a pencil, and he drew a stick figure of me on a stage, saying, <laughs> "Hi, I'm Fred." And then he drew a stick figure of me in a little trolley I'm car, tra- saying, "Hi, I'm Fred." Oh. And he just pointed at it and he goes, "Which looks better?" And I was like, "Fuck that trolley!" <laughs> like his <laughs> his little stick figure of me on the trolley. I'm like, "No, oh my god, you're right. I need. I literally needed to see some guy draw a stick figure of me sticking my head out of a trolley, and that was my future." I was like, "Nope, I want to be on the stage. It could be a shitty stage, but a stage." Yeah, no, it's brilliant that he did that. That was the same thing I did. I was offered Ren fairs, and I don't remember something else that was like that kind of thing. I didn't get the trolley. They didn't call me for the trolley thing, but it was. It well, was, I uh, have skills that you don't. Right? You know. Yeah, you, you, can, you, you hadn't honed at that point. <laughs> no, I didn't have great. I was able to go all aboard, all aboard. Yes, you had played Lady Elaine Fairchild at one point, and were more familiar with the trolley system from your days on Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. But um, no, but I had the same thought. I was like, I was like, well, one is one is doing plays, and the other is wandering around a fairground and I was like I was like well the one doesn't fit it's not that it's not acting but it's if I'm got if I got a choice between like here's a script and here's a play and you learn your lines and you play a character especially in things I'd heard of before like Little Shop of Horrors (laughs) and the Nerd I was like okay that's doing shows now did you know that you had both been offered yes uh, okay you knew that you'd both been offered Salem we sat there with Quentin together we had meetings with him together do you remember we sat there and that's when he was telling us about like 
he was like, yeah, you guys will be in the nerd little shop. He was being cagey about what we do, but it was kind of intimated that you'd be Seymour and I'd be the dentist and little shop. I mean, he was he was throwing that stuff out there like maybe, maybe, maybe. And then we didn't know for sure until we got the whatever flimsy piece of tissue paper was our contract. I thought we did that for the second season. No. Because the second season, he called us in for a meeting. Remember, we talked about that on one of the episodes. He called us in for a meeting while we were already working there. But at the hotel, at the ECTCs, we sat there together because I remember we were sitting there together and he was talking to us. You guys will also be a no, 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 but you know, you know, but you're, you're the kind of guys we want there because, you know, it, it doesn't go over so well. Like guys walking around in leg warmers up there, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, it, God. And he was right. It, that was like small town Confederate flag. Like, wow. You know, like deep south upstate New York. Is you what remember what happened when we drove up there? We went to this diner and there was, there was a bunch of like, you know, trucker looking guys mm. with big bushy mustaches and caps. And I needed mm. some change for something. I didn't have enough money to buy the muffin I needed. So I was asking Annette and the guy turned to his friend and he went, gotta feed Mario. <gasps> and I'm like, wait, is he, gotta is he talking about me? Feed Mario. Yeah, Mario. I yeah. forgot that. I remember yeah. there was something. I, I guess because I, I, we had dark hair and I, yeah. I look slightly swarthy or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was very odd. This is a whole other story. I, I got to save it for if we do July of 93 or something, <laughs> but the story of how I had to, I was told upon arriving at Fort Salem, uh, that because my girlfriend and I were working together and because we were offered a room to share oh, together, yes. <laughs> you know, I, the guy calls, he offers it. He's like, you want a net? You'll be there. He's like, would you, you guys want to ha- live together? You want to, you want to share a room? You want to share? I was like, sure. I was like, oh my God, uh, uh, you know, live, live with my, my girlfriend. He's like, sure. Great, great, great. We'll set you up. You literally get off the fight. Fu- we get out of the car. Bill Mutimer, the actor who meets us there uh, to like show us to our housing. He says, oh, well, um, by the way, you two are married. But me and you're, you're married because you're staying with this old woman, Jane Tabordo, who like will not, she would not countenance, you know, uh, unmarried, uh, an unmarried couple living in her. And I was like, we didn't have to live. We didn't have to share a bed. I, the guy offered it. Now I have to pretend I'm married all summer. That's he said the same to thing do. to me. He said, you, you two, you two are married. You not Jewish. <gasps> no. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Oh my God. But I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. They I, were, that's why I was like, I was like, really? Did you disavow your Judaism? The whole time? <laughs> oh my God. To work at the, to work with Quentin C. Beaver. Yes, I would have. Oh my God. We'll be, we'll be referring to you as Mario throughout the contract. <laughs> Cause that's slightly better. Dan, what were you doing? Um, where was I? I was working at Another movie theater, not the movie theater that I was working on, working in before, which was called Movie City. But I was working at a place called Cineplex Odeon, which I don't think Mm -hmm. they even exist anymore. But they were these movie theaters that were primarily in malls. Some of them were standalone Mm -hmm. theaters, but it was called Cineplex Odeon. And it was a big deal that this theater was opening up in our local mall, the Menlo Park Mall. And um, the reason I remember that I was there is because they had, you know, the buzz about Jurassic Park was so hot and so big. It's Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg's next new big movie with computer generated dinosaurs and everything. They actually had a free sneak preview of it for the employees at like nine Ooh. in the morning or something. And wow. we, before anyone else got to see it and I and they were like, you can bring one person. It was either early in the morning or late, late at night. And they're like, you can bring one person. So I brought my sister and I was like, um, do you want to see, you know, this a dinosaur movie? She's like. I don't know. You, is it, is it supposed to be? I was like, yeah, it's the new Steven Spielberg thing. It's free. So why don't you come? We 
went out of our minds. We loved it. So I'll talk more about it when we talk about the movie. But it's a very a special memory for me because we both, you know, uh, enjoyed it uh, uh, so much sitting there and see, getting to see it with just, you know, a handful of other employees before anyone else in the in the country basically got to see it. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Now, really the other cool. thing about Cineplex Odeon is they accused me of stealing often. What? Like, That's uh, also like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's also cool. Yeah. What what do they accuse you of stealing? A twenty dollar bill out of the register every every <gasps> couple of days. Like every time my register got counted, it was this. off by the same amount. You know, I don't know if it was a twenty or ten or something like that, but it was like they thought I was like pocketing money and going, oh well. And I would show them. I'd be like, I have no no, I have no reason to steal from you. I have no money in my pockets or my bag or anything like that. You know, I don't know if someone was someone else I was working with or somebody else was going in there and taking money or then one of the managers was or something. But I mean, fuck, I was a good cashier. <laughs> you know, I yeah. had been a cashier for a long time and I always counted my money back to people and, and counted my drawer at the beginning and the end of the night. But somehow between there and it being officially counted in the manager's office, I was missing money. And so they accused me of like, well, you know, this is happening often enough that it's a problem now. You know, it's like, I, it's not me. <laughs> I count my fucking drawer. So anyway, Cineplex Odeon, now we know why you're out of business. Your employee, your employees <laughs> steal, but not this employee. Um, but no, it was it was a, it was a nice place to work until that until that started wow. happening. But I think I was only there the one summer because then it was that time to go summer. back to Hofstra for, I guess, 91, 92, 92, 92. So junior year. So that would have been. You were going back yeah. for your senior year after Fort Salem, and you had just graduated. Yeah, then, Jason, I had right? graduated in May. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah, so I was about to go. Did back. Did you convince? Year. So you never convinced your manager that you you were not the thief. He or she thought you were. I never was able to do that. No, I mean, I, I you weren't able to turn her. To oh turn my her. God. <laughs> to turn her. <laughs> assuming amazing. it was, I'm, I'm assuming it was a female. Assume away. Yeah. Keep saying it because you saying Turner, Turner is actually making, you me, able making, to turn me, her. making me fall asleep. It's great. Turner. <laughs> oh, Turner. Come on, Bennett. Come on, Bennett. Come on, Bennett. You weren't able to turn her. I, lo I love how that's Fred's thing. The poor bastard. He's like going to sit there and think like, is there anything I got here? Like he can't just talk about stuff and, and listen and react. He's got to be thinking, is there anything here? Is there anything here I can use? But it's true. And anything? I couldn't. I was like, fuck, there's nothing. I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. Oh, oh, but we don't have to now. We did it. Ah, oh, it's done. Congratulations, boys. What's love got to do with it? You can't get away from me, and I'm in here. If she ever wanted to find her dreams... When you can see yourself clearly, your life will change. She had to start believing in herself. Not me. You want nothing without me, and you ain't gonna be nothing without me. I'll give it all up. Just release the claim on my name. Means you're gonna walk out of here with absolutely nothing. Except my name. Touchstone Pictures presents the story of a remarkable woman who refused to give up. I'm ready. I'm ready, and I know what I want. Based on the life of the legendary soul singer Tina Turner, played by Academy Award nominee and should have been winner, Angela Bassett. I've never seen anything like this. She moves to St. Louis to pursue a career, and there she meets the charismatic Ike Turner, played by a volcanic Lawrence Fishburne, who rechristens her Tina and offers to help her succeed. 
As a musical team, Ike and Tina take the charts by storm, but as his physical abuse worsens, Tina has to make the tough decision to leave Ike and set out on her own. The film's acting is spectacular, but so many liberties were taken with Tina Turner's story that Turner herself has had a difficult time watching the finished product. What's Love opened in limited release against Jurassic Park, taking in $1.2 million on its way to a total box office of $39.1 million. Fred and Dan... What'd you guys think of what's love got to do with it? This was a more uh, disturbing movie than Nothing But Trouble. It was harder to watch. It was harder to reconcile. It was, um, you know, it it was just like so harrowing. Uh, It was was relentlessly harrowing, kind of from the get-go. I couldn't help but invite and I can't help but invite comparisons to Sweet Dreams, a movie uh, we a movie we reviewed earlier on this podcast yeah. that I had a lot Kate of and I problems with. Yeah. yeah. I had a lot of problems yeah. with that movie because it was it's the story of an abusive relationship that in which the the abuse the abuse victim happens to be Patsy Klein and I found it incidental to the plot that she was Patsy Klein. Obviously not the case here. This movie is about Tina Turner becoming Tina Turner and 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 becoming the superstar that she is with a, a electrifying performance by Angela Bassett in which you know she is also rising from a, a, as the the great metaphor that starts the movie and that kind of rounds it out at the end the the lotus flower coming through the coming through the mud you know mm-hmm. um uh, mm-hmm. and that is such an apt metaphor because that makes the the the, the struggle the hardship the abuse uh, everything that she had to live through makes her into the Tina Turner that becomes her full blossoming self in the 1980s the Tina Turner I remember I didn't know what you about what you said in the intro that so many liberties uh were, were taken with it I'd, I'd love to apparently know it's more like about that. so so yeah. like I, I didn't even go through them but on on Wikipedia there's you know you, you look up stuff about movies and there are different categories how it was received mm. uh, you know this and that and but this one has a category called inaccuracies oh, and it is as well Wow. I didn't even go through them, but it's like almost everything. I mean, the the essence of the relationship, uh-huh. the abuse. I mean, that's all obviously true. The the general arc of her career, but in terms of the details and stuff. And apparently, she was unhappy ultimately that even though it's based on her uh, autobiography, I Tina, that she wrote with Kurt Loder, yeah. mm-hmm. she was yeah kind of upset that she was painted so totally as a victim throughout it. So I I mean, I don't know what kind of nuance. She's she talks about of, it a lot, and there's she has a there's a documentary that was just on HBO, oh, right, which was right. which was fantastic. I think it's just called Tina, mm-hmm. which was really really great. And she talks uh-huh. about it, and she talks about some other some. I I, I don't. First of all, I, I have to jump in and say that I I I vehemently, and I've never done this, but I vehemently disagree with you, Dan, about this because nothing but trouble was three hundred times more <laughs> harrowing, hard to watch. <laughs> disturbing everything than, than, than this movie. So what about just, disorderly? I, I have to throw, what about disorderly? I know I can't even, I don't even, I can't even, I can't even hear the name and it bothers right. me. No, you're right. This was, um, I actually had to fast forward through the, did you really, the, the, the rape? They're the rape. incredibly difficult. Incredibly the difficult. The first time that he hits her is fucking horrifying. And I, I saw this in the theater. I remember I saw it that opening weekend when it came oh, really? out. Yeah. I don't remember what would have brought me to it that quickly, mm. but I, I definitely saw it right when it opened. I know I was a fan of I, I, I 
I, I always, I liked the two of them from Boys in the Hood mm-hmm. and Boys in the Hood was one of my favorite movies that year when it came out. And actually, great. I remember Dan, you and I talking about it and, and yeah. we were in this, in uh, the West End theater and I was like, Boys in the Hood was the best movie of the year that should have won all the Oscars. You wrote a paper about it, right? For Dr. I Cole? did. I did. Yeah. I wrote a paper. I, I awesome took a note, movie. a cue from you, Jason, and I compared <laughs> Boys in the Hood to Ionesco's Rhinoceros. What the fuck are you talking about? There, there were, th- there were three things that really made it that were very disturbing to me about watching it. First of all, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Angela Bassett is, she's fucking amazing. Good Lord. And, and so I, is he. I, I, he's I've never incredible. seen him like that. I've never he's seen him. incredible. I have some made thoughts about him I'll share in a moment, but, uh, but, uh, but okay. sure. Yeah, she's, she's No, but she's uh, the top, top. Yeah. 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 And I, I didn't appreciate her performance until I watched this documentary about Tina. I liked her when I saw it, but I had some, they were, I thought, I thought she was great. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one issue I had, and I'll get to that in a second, because it's one of the things that's, that I've since rethought and has made me, it makes it a little even more disturbing to watch. I mean, first of all, just their relationship is awful to watch. As you said, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's like you can't. From the beginning, it's awful. Before, even before any of the the physical abuse happens, it's Yeah, well, because mm-hmm. also you know where it's going. I, I didn't find Fishburne as multifaceted, multi, multi-layered as I, as, as I wanted him to be, or even as Ed Harris was in Sweet Dreams. With Ed Harris, I kind of like, go, I'm going, okay, I see what she sees in him. There is a sweetness sometimes. There is a likability sometimes. There is a heartache and a heartbreak. Mm. I didn't see at all what Angela Bassett sees in him. I found him to be loathsome basically from the get-go. Now, part of my brain is going where you're going, Fred. It's like, well, wait, is that because we know about Ike Turner and we know about what he what he did prior to even hitting play on this movie? And so we yeah. see it coming because of our foreknowledge or is it mm-hmm. something in Fishburne's performance that is lacking? And I'm having trouble sort of parsing that out. Well, a little woman like you get such a big voice. <laughs> You had them folks talk down in there like, let me put it to you this way. See, it's like you sang like a man. I mean, you are a woman. You are a woman. Any man can see that, but girl, it's like you got your own particular way of getting a song out you. It's unique. You got your own unique sound. See, that's what sells records. Ooh, you got a flag. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> definitely got a flag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anything's lacking in the performance, maybe in the screenplay, because mm. he doesn't get a scene like Ed Harris does. But he, but is, he does, doesn't he's he? Sexy. He's sexy. He gets a scene. He gets the scene where he talks about, I can't go to the hospital. And he talks about seeing yeah. uh, his father uh, being beaten up by because he went out with a gangster's wife. And he it's a very, I just took that as more manipulation. Image. It felt was, more manipulative. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't take it as manipulation, okay. but I didn't take it as enough of a. I didn't get take it as a window into why he's an abusive man or what his, you know, I mean, he's been through stuff. He's seen things, you know, he's he comes from a a, a hard background, a hard childhood. You know, that that idea that his father had holes basically kicked in him and that he he uh, took him three years to die. I mean, that's very potent. And so that's the one moment you see personal pain right in, in him. Um, in terms of the what the what the screenplay does and what the film does, but I thought I think it is. I think we carry so much back. You hear the name Ike Turner, and you're like, oh boy, buckle up. Yeah. Yeah. But he's sexy, charismatic, talented, funny. At, for you know, takes care of everything. He's like, I'm gonna. He is like 
you see the long shadows of what's to come in how completely uh, overbearing and uh, immersive his attention is. He's like, yeah. he's like, I'm going to, you know, I've got the room set up for you. I'm going to call your mom. I'm going to tell him you're going to say, you know, it's all very charming and seductive, but it's also control control. He's just envelops everything. I was missing and the charming and seductive. I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't find it there. I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I'm going danger. Oh, Angela Bassett, danger. Get yeah. out of there, yeah. Tina Turner from the get go. Well, they also play it that she's so starstruck by him and she's so just blown away way, by yeah. this new world. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're right. right. There are, there are a lot of signs in the beginning and I, you know, that's the thing. I don't know if, I don't know if it would have been better to play him as more sympathetic because then does that take away from the struggle that Tina had to go through? Right. Uh, it's I, it's a hard role, and apparently he turned it down several times, like mm. like you know five, six, seven times. And I was thinking about that. You know, how do you take on a role like that? You know, how do you agree? To say, I mean, you you have to go in thinking the only reason I'm going to do a role like this, like, yes, I want it to be three dimensional, even though we know he's a monster. And let's make no mistake. Ike Turner is a fucking monster, whether or not this was over exaggerated or not. He was a fucking monster because what he did to her, you know, Mm -hmm. and this here is about business right here. That dead marquee out there say Ike and Tina Turner. And the people out there waiting on me, and you laying up here talking about you telling what you gonna do? You wanna take care of business, or, or you looking for a way out? Ah, uh, so you wanna you won't leave me like all them other suckers I done made famous. As an actor, you you must. There's got to be something where you go into that thinking, I'm playing this awful character in service to the story of this other character who breaks free of that. Right. Unfor- yeah. Unfortunately, this all these awful things happened to this person, and she, thankfully she came out the other side triumphant yeah. but to get there she needed this person so i'm I, so uh, for better or for worse this person needs to be there i'm going to do it in service of the mm-hmm. the greater story of tina turner I, I didn't realize this when she wrote the book her idea behind it doing it with kurt loader was to get it out there to tell the story to help people and then move on you know she was like i don't want to talk about this anymore i want to move on yeah. Well, she was never able to move on from it because it was yeah. in the open now and it became this huge inspiration. You know, it was it was like I didn't realize at that time. I mean, we were too young, but that book really broke open the doors, you know, and really was like a a, a, a siren for other women who had lived, you know, with abusive yeah. relationships to yeah. sort of come out People start and talking tell their about stories. It. Yeah. 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 And I think for her, at least the way she talks about this documentary is like, I'm happy that I can help people. I don't want to relive that. Yeah. I was hoping to get this out and then move away. And now this movie's being made. I just felt so, obviously I felt bad for Tina in the situation, but I also felt bad for Tina after the situation, having to relive it again. You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice and easy. But there's just one thing. You see, we never ever do nothing nice and easy. We always do it nice and rough. But we'll take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're gonna do the finish rough. That's the way we do. Credence Clearwaters. Proud men. 
The thing that bothered me when I first saw the movie, and I hate to say it bothered me because this is going to make me sound awful, but I remember being, ah, she's too jacked. She's too muscular right from the beginning. She's like, she's, <laughs> Angela Bassett is so fucking built Her arms and are cut. amazing. Yeah, and I was like, and right from the beginning when she's still anime bollock and she takes her sweater off to sing, I just remember thinking, oh, now I'm out of it. I'm, I'm not, because that's, <laughs> you know, that's Angela Bassett who's really worked out. And I remember having a conversation, and I think it was with our college friend, Fern Sternberg. And I remember mentioning that to her, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I just wish that, you know, maybe for the for the earlier scenes, she wasn't as as well-built, you know, and then as it went on, she was able to sort of, you know, take some time and really build a premise. So we can see she becomes the Tina Turner that, you know, who was. And Fern Sermick said, yeah, but that's real easy for a, a black actress in Hollywood. And I thought, oh, Meaning what, shit. To, 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 to not. Meaning that, that, the, the, the fact that. The support that, system to like to do a De Niro and be like, no, we're going to yeah. film these scenes. And then you do a physical transformation into the. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I see what you, I see what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. She's absolutely right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but actors do that. She's like, yeah. Actors. Right. Yeah. Actors, yeah. Like yes. male actors. Yeah. With oh, names and, and, watching, and, and, and watching it again. Yeah. I was thinking that again, thinking, you know, first of all, she looks amazing. Yeah. I don't, and that's not a, that's not a knock on what, but thinking again, that was another disturbing element to me that at that time, mm-hmm. you know, that a, a black actress in Hollywood wouldn't be able to say, Hey, I want to do this full physical transformation. You know, they, they, she wouldn't have the power to do that. Now I I need to amend that because then also I found out that she only had a, and which makes her performance even more amazing. She had a month between the time she was cast and the time she started. You're kidding this me. is a this is a small budget movie. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, which it's, I didn't realize. It's, wow. it's, yeah, I mean, it's Touchstone Pictures and this and that, but it's you know this isn't going to be a box office behemoth, and and nor yeah. was it. And so yeah, the the time allotted, I'm sure, was slim. But I thought the same thing, Fred. But I I even last night I thought, oh, I do see a difference though. I see she's super toned in the beginning, yeah, more than she probably would have been certainly, mm-hmm. but. But then when you see her on stage towards the end in those latter performances, I mean, she is she is sinewy and ripped. I mean, so you can tell, like, even within that, you can tell, like, she must have been trying, you know, sculpting even more physically for the later uh, Mm. uh, the later scenes. But yeah, no, her. Her physicality is her whole performance is beautiful. And and the degree of difficulty, Kate and I kept watching it. I was like, she does everything in this fucking movie. She does yes. everything. Even her chanting when she go her her turn to Buddhism. Yeah. I was like, I, I, every every aspect of her life, the the and she finds so much joy in the character too. She's so yeah. funny and light and happy, even in the midst of that relationship, the which is such a, a an accurate portrait of abuse, where it's like there are the good days and the bad. There are the days where you're, you're putting the cover on or where you literally are just so exhausted. It's like, yeah, we have these this roller coaster relationship where some days it's the worst day of my life. And then some days it's like, all right, I cut it out, cut it out. It, you know, where it's like, well, we're just we're just a couple again. We're just a you know, we're just having a normal play, not playful. There's a point where it, it decidedly shifts. But you can tell, like, it's like she's gone through it so much that the inherent danger, you know, she doesn't mm. even. 
she doesn't even clock it. There's like there's there's a moment where the eyes must flash red and she knows, oh, well, now it's going to happen. Uh, but you but but he he operates at such a baseline level vibrating with with kind of tension and the potential for violence that it becomes normal. Yeah. It becomes like we see it. We see those scenes where we're like, oh, shit, it's coming. Something's going to happen. And it feels like she doesn't. That's my problem with it. Uh, but I think mm, that's not her. Though. I think it's that, him. I don't think it's either of them. I think that's the I think that's the relationship we've seen. I know I've seen in my life where it's like, oh, that is not a good that is not a good relationship. I don't see what happens behind those closed doors. But you can tell like there is. You know what I mean? Of like, co- it's like, of course, we've seen that. But so, is there always 24, 7, 365 that baseline layer of 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 because I didn't see anything else from from Fishburne ever other than oh my god he's scary he's scary he's scary he's scary he's scary get away get away that's all I was thinking I need something of his of the Ed Harris stuff of the charm the compassion the give me another give me another flavor it in didn't there bother at some me. point you know it did well you know why because I thought it was such an I thought he did such an incredible job I was like that that is such he's an- amazing honest portrait of jealousy you see the yes. his jealousy towards her that moment where he's listening to the recording yes. of uh, river deep mountain high mm-hmm. the look oh, in his God. eyes and when he's on stage and he's basically in the shadows and she's center stage and when they're chanting te- i mean you know that's a very overt moment when you're like oh look at her with all the the spotlight on her right. and he's basically in <laughs> He's he's just her backup player, yep. you know, and 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 he's going, see, I made you who you are. I made you this by teaching you how to sing rough, which that's an amazing scene and also very scary where he's like, you got to sing rougher. You know, it's like yeah, he feels yeah. he made her. He's her sort of the Dr. Frankenstein of like, I created this. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And that moment that, yeah, the moment where he's listening to the record, Fred, and then and then he uh, and he gets up and he's like saying, that's great. That's great work. Great job. You know, and he like mm-hmm. holds your hand, but you can tell, I mean, he's just, you know, he's pulsing with that jealousy. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just found it. I, I don't really know her story. I, like I said, I didn't even read through those inaccuracies, that list of inaccuracies. <laughs> I hadn't seen the documentary or read the book, you know, and it, it is, it's, it's frustratingly repetitive that, you know, you keep wanting to be like, Get out, get out, get away, get away. Oh and then she tries yes. with the kids and he tracks oh, her down. That's the thing. That's she, the he's worst like fucking scene. Jaws. And, you know, yes. he's he's omnipresent. And he and very it feels like at that point in the movie, you feel like, well, there is no escape. She's never going to be able to get away right. from him. Yeah. And then that incredible uh, scene where she crosses the highway to get to the other God. the fucking Red Roof Inn. God, I, I, I wept. Oh, wept. God. The scene in the motel is the most heartbreaking yeah. scene ever. And that's that's true. That's 100 percent true. And she's still in the documentary. She's like, to this day, I still wow. thank God that that ho- that motel manager let me stay. And that's exactly what she said. That was that scene was heartbreaking. I'm I'm Tina Turner. My husband and I just had a fight. I'm supposed to open at the academy tonight. I have 36 cents and a mobile car. But if you would give me a room, I swear I will pay you back. No, 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 Please. that won't be necessary. Now, Miss Turner, I'd, I'd be honored, really. We'll, we'll take care of you. Thank you. Nick, let's get Miss Turner a room. Moments before that, when they're fighting in the in the car, 
in the limo and in, in the back of the limo and she goes on the attack, you're cheering yeah, for her. You know, you're yeah. going, just oh, get him. Fucking we were get out loud him. cheering. Get we're like, him. Yeah. Fucking kill him. Yeah. Kill yeah. him. Kill his I wanted fucking her ass. to kill him. And was Fishburne you know, nominated it, for an Oscar for he supporting? Was. He was nominated for were. Best Actor. Yeah. Now, who nominated. did who did Angela Bassett uh, lose Holly to? Hunter in the piano. You won the contest. Oh, who was great? She was great too. It was she great, was but I'm yeah. sorry. I think this should have. She should have gotten it for this. Yeah, I, 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 it's a complete so performance. <laughs> I mean, it's so incredible. This performance is so incredible. Oh, I, I, I really think it's, it's hard to believe she didn't win. And I remember the piano, and I thought Holly Hunter was great. But I, I, this just, I don't know. This is, I mean, and you know, and if I rewatched the piano today, I might be like, oh yeah, it's not that easy a call. But right now mm. I'm like, I'm like this performance should have won everything. And of course it, it wins the golden globe, but it wins the golden globe for musical or comedy. You know, that yeah, give me a break. Uh, it's such a, and in terms of a portrait of, of a, a, a living, breathing, you know, rock star or performer that we know so well, I, I mean, this is, for me, this is unparalleled. I mean, I, I, the Freddie Mercury thing, with Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought that was good. I, I just, I, I just, I, there's something about you said it, Dan. A complete performance. Yeah. Every, I believe every molecule of her is Tina Turner, and I, I, you know, the physicality yeah. when she's performing. It's like if you squint, you're just watching Tina Turner. I, I it's, yeah. it goes beyond any kind of an impersonation. I mean, and when you say she only had a month to prepare for it, I mean, she is. I was happy just to hear uh, Tina singing Disco Inferno because that's one of my favorite. I, I say I this completely unironically. That's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> and that's a fascinating period of her life I found. And they re, in the documentary, they really go yeah. into it. They, they Like she worked that club scene in Vegas for years. I mean, yeah, she was she really have. like the bottom of the barrel, but like fucking pushing through it, you know, mm. like. But when she does meet Roger Davies, who really, you know, saved, you know, just revived her career, she was working for a long time trying to get in with him. And, and it's, it was, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's just, I, I just kept thinking like, it's unbelievable, it's remarkable that she was able to get out and reinvent herself oh, yeah. in that way. Because you're right. Like you said in the beginning yeah. of this, Dan, when that album came out, she was huge. Oh, huge. Huge. No, this is, this is, this is, uh. Um, you know, one so of the good. best performances we've seen on the, on the, on the podcast, I think it's, it's right up there with, you know, uh, any of the best ones that, that we've seen. She blew me away. And I was so glad that we, uh, got to watch this. Cause like I said, I'd never seen it before, but yeah. holy fuck a difficult one. I mean, New appreciation the, the, for the, the, the scenes of the actual abuse are, they're almost too well done because yeah. you can't, like you said, Jason, you, you have to look away. You have to, you know, and yeah. I wasn't, I didn't know that they were, that, that it was going to go that far. Like the movie yeah. was going to make yeah. the decision to go that far with it yeah. that many times, you know? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it is, it is a, yeah, so is it too, um, a, a gut is it too much? Is it too, uh, movie. It's, it's really, really disturbing. And I will say a, a, a moment that is kind of brilliant and also like tonally really interesting. And I, I wonder if, if you're seeing it in a movie theater, what the response must have been when she does like fight back yes. in that limousine. Yeah. She fights back and I'm sure, I mean, I was, we were sitting on the couch 
cheering and screaming. Sure, I was I sitting here by myself him, going, yeah, get him. Yeah. And then it cuts to the two of them walking into the hotel. Oh my God, that and moment. She's beaten and, and he's, <sighs> that's, that's kind of the most amazing scene in the movie. If you're going to pull a scene out of this, yeah. it's like the time capsule moment. Yes. It's the yeah. two of them walking in and pulling themselves together. And because <sighs> they both are, and because she's walking basically with the, you know, like walking so purposefully yep. to the front desk and he's behind her and he's like, his fucking shirts off and he's, he's a mess and he's trying to pull his shirt yeah. down over himself. There's and actually a comedic himself. event. It's comic. Yeah. It's comic. It, it's funny. It's weird. And I bet it was a big laugh, mm-hmm. even though it's, and then two seconds later that you see her in the mirror right. and the makeup team that created that oh, effect of her house. Well, it's, I, so I think it was purposeful. I think it was, this is the cheer moment when she fights back. Mm-hmm. This is the laugh where yeah. he's trying to, where she's like, Let's go check the fuck in to this hotel. And he's pulling himself together. That's the laugh. And then the hard drop, the stone drop, when you just look at her face in the mirror. What a like, sequence. That's it. That's the end. And that is the end. And that's when she finally goes for the last time. And yeah. uh, it, it's a pretty incredible sequence. And uh, and it's a, and I it would have been interesting to experience it with an audience and, yeah. and go through that roller coaster. Um, it takes you through her journey because that's what she lives through every time, except without the finality of and now I am out, you know, yeah. she's, she's been through that, you know, that it happens. Maybe I fight, maybe I don't, we laugh, we get back to normalcy. I clean my cloak, clean myself up yeah. and we, and we move forward. But this time is finally, finally the last oh, yeah. time. You Two know. men enter, one Tina leaves. Ah, she escaped Thunderdome. Ah, <laughs> ah, and so many do not. How many Sheila's? I'll go first for a change. Uh, I'm going to go 8.5. Seven, six, five, two. <laughs> That's interesting. That's higher than I thought you'd be. Yeah. No, that re- really point my, seven, six, five, two. Yeah. Really. Oh, my only point, you know, my only point of, of contention with this is, is give me a, give me, give me another, let me know beyond he's sexy and I'm wide eyed with wonder at him. Let me know what she loves about him. Fred. Uh, 8.5. <laughs> Give it 8.5 shields. I'm going eight. I think the movie's really, really great, but it's the performances. Movie's an eight. Fishburne's a 12. Angela Bassett is a 100. Correct. 100. <laughs> no, nah, she's incredible. It's all it's all her performance and his performance for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't know that the film is. It's it's like it's also like Sweet Dreams. I think it's more successful than Sweet Dreams. But oh, yeah, usually with a biopic like this, it's hard to kind of get in there and do anything kind of yeah. revolutionary as a movie. It's yeah, you're tends right. to be about the act. You're right. So it was very, it yeah. was very uh cookie cutter, like it, it, yeah. and a great, a great like, cookie, you know, but, but it was very, uh, you know, fantastic. ABC, art D, direction. Yeah. You know, all the elements are, you know, again, like sweet dreams, all those elements are fantastic. Art direction, costuming, makeup, hair, you know, it was, it was fantastic, but yeah, it was, it's so much about the performances for me. Um I just want to see what she sees in him. You know, and yeah, I didn't I, see I that I ever. Saw, yeah, I saw. You know it what he is? He's prehistoric. <sighs> He's prehistoric. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to your ass lick part. Oh, that's Shalitsaurus <laughs> talking. I'm so sorry. Damn you, Shalitsaurus! <laughs> Damn you, Shalitsaurus! You've done it again. You've done it again. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's Jurassic Park.
to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Senses are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Down! I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. Paleontologists. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and Ellie Sattler, played by Laura Dern, and mathematician Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, are among a select group chosen to tour an island theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA. While the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, assures everyone that the facility is safe, they find out otherwise when various ferocious predators break free and go on the hunt. Steven Spielberg's massive blockbuster, based on the Michael Crichton novel and released the same year as Spielberg's Oscar-winning Schindler's List, launched a six-film franchise after taking in $47 million over its opening weekend and grossing $1,034,000,000 worldwide. Fred and Dan, what do you guys think of this thing called Jurassic Park? Let me tell you something. Go ahead. This isn't my favorite movie. What? It's not my favorite movie. You son of a bitch. However, it's, the it's best my favorite one movie seen. I've ever seen in a movie theater. Oh. Ever. I love <laughs> I I love this movie, but I it's my favorite movie going experience. Nice. I've, and I saw this movie in the theater multiple times, many, probably more than any other movie. Wow. For a couple of reasons. More than me, yeah. Wally Sparks? <laughs> uh, oh, you saw that a lot in the theater. I saw that a lot, mostly by myself <laughs> in the trench coat. <laughs> Just surreptitiously. Oh, Cindy Williams. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, well, I saw it opening night. That was Meet Wally remember- Spurts. You watched that a lot oh, by yourself. Hey. In a hotel room. Anyway. Attack, Charlotte Attack the podcast. Yeah. Attack the podcast. That's the name of our new podcast, Attack the Podcast. Talk about vicious animal attacks. Here's a badger and Dan in a small room together. Throw a groundhog in. Oh, my God. Just what did a, you like just about a this Tuesday movie? around what? here. What? Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I saw this movie opening night. I'm fairly certain I saw it with my friend Josh because I remember talking about it at Berkeley Air the next day. We went to this, there was like this little diner where all the workers would go. And I remember talking about it. And I have one peccadillo with the movie, one little thing that I remember talking about there. And I'll talk about that later because everything else I pretty much goddamn love about this movie. Mm. I saw it several times. Then then I remember we saw it again at Fort Salem, Jason. We went all like me, you and Ned and, and Kim, my ex-girlfriend from the time. We all went to see it there. And then I probably saw it again, you know, regular run. But then I remember being in the city 
I'm walking down 50th Street, and this little thing called the $2 movie theater yeah. had opened. Now it's it was Dodger the Stages, then it became New World, New World Stages, nice. but it was the $2 movie theater, and I happened to be walking past it the day that it opened, mm-hmm. and what were they showing there? Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, what? Jurassic Park? $2? I saw that motherfucking that movie 3,000 times there. <laughs> I saw it so many times. Because if I if there was a day where I was killing time, I'm like, well, I got two bucks. Mm-hmm. I'll go see Jurassic Park again. So I loved seeing it in the theater. Because of the bigness and or because of being with other people who were reacting to it? Uh, a little bit of both, but mostly, obviously in the beginning, it was the reaction of every, like oh, that, yeah. that, that, that's always such a great feeling, but it was really, it was the bigness yeah. and the sound, that DTS sound system, which was basically invented for, <laughs> for this film. Yeah. Spielberg invented a whole new sound system. You can system. hear it. You can remember the, the sound of the, oh, the it rumbles, it rumbles your ears, yeah. it rumbles so the, the foundations of the theater where you saw it. Yeah, and that. it was so, I hadn't seen it in a long time and we recently rewatched it and I got so excited watching it again because this movie, and I read the book too. I love the book. It's, it's one of my favorite books. It's so good. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's a great read. Pretty, pretty, pretty much the same as the movie. Obviously it's, it's a a little more, a bit more expansive, a little darker Mm -hmm. at times. Definitely goes darker in the beginning. When was in on the the screenplay and I wonder if that was, you know, Thinking about our Jeff Rodkey um, uh, conversation, I, I wonder if Crichton was like, you're going to make a movie in my book? I'll also be in on the screenplay, please. No, well, no, even more than that. Oh. He was commissioned to write the book. They wanted to make a movie. Oh, I, I was reading. Cool. So they're like, can you write it? You know, do you want to write this book? He wrote the book. Mm-hmm. With the movie in and mind. And then, yeah. And cool. then he's like, and then I'm going to get in on the screenplay as That's well. Great. And uh, Smart. It, 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 it's so... Spielberg does such an amazing job and there's so many similarities to Jaws with this movie. I mean, it, yeah. just the structure of it, you know, the, the, da, da, the music from Jaws is almost played out with like the water mm-hmm. in this, you know, when you see the water start to shake, it's like hearing the, da, you know, something's coming, yes. but there's such a great sense of peril all throughout this yeah. movie, which really holds yeah, up, you know, I mean, it's, there's a real sense of peril and dread throughout this movie where like shit is going, you know, like what, what Malcolm says, Dr. Malcolm, that it's the the chaos is happening. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love that. And in this rewatch, I was like, wow, it really holds up. That peril stays there. Like the movie's genuinely scary. Uh, It's so scary. I love that. Yeah. I love that opening scene, which is again, very similar to Jaws. I totally forgot about that first scene. Completely forgot that it existed until this rewatch. I was like, what is, I I, I, I actually stopped it and went, oh wait, I started the wrong movie. I thought I had started like uh, the Lost World or something. I was like, what is this opening scene? Who are these people? I don't recognize them. Yeah. It's a great opener. And what I love about it too, like, look, we go, we we know that the movie is about the dinosaurs. Like we know that's what what it's about, but they (laughs) said. Was the book also about dinosaurs? Because I heard it was about. Oddly enough. (laughs) No. Yeah. The Pelicans on the loose and they go crazy and they start attacking Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is in the book, not the character. Actually, Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) He narrates it. Hi, I'm Jeff Goldblum. Remember the time I went to. (laughs) Now, let's say a drop water falls in your hand. Which way is the drop going to roll off? Over which finger or over the thumb or the other side? Thumb. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Okay, now freeze your hand, freeze your hand. Don't move. I'm going to do the same thing, start with the same same place again. Right. Which way is going to roll off? Let's say back. 
Tiny variations and never repeat and vastly affect the outcome. That's what? Unpredictability. Right. Look at this. See? See? I'm right again. Nobody could have predicted that Dr. Grant would suddenly, suddenly jump out of a moving vehicle. Alan? Alan? There's uh, another example. <laughs> See, here I'm now by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. That's, that's chaos theory. They do such a great job of building up the awe and the wonderment which is immediately met by complete boredom in a sense. You know, mm-hmm, there's like, oh yeah. my God, you've done this. And then nothing works. Mm-hmm. And it's like a boring theme yeah. park, which is so great because you're like, oh no, these are, you know, animals. They're getting, you know, they're, it's they're like not going to go to the do- zoo and you're like, oh, the fucking lion's not out today. So yeah. where's the lion? And it's like, well, it's he's so a great. living creature. It's going to go where it wants to go. Exactly. Which is <laughs> yeah. just a br- really like it's structurally, brilliant. that's just brilliant. And then you get what is one of the, I think, one of the greatest scenes in a action, in a big movie like this. That first T-Rex scene is fucking stunning from start to finish. It's terrifying the way it builds, and it's relentless. And you know what it dawned on me this time? There's not one lick of music the entire right. time. Which I'm like, that's it! Yeah. That's why this scene fucking yeah. works so... And I ne- it never dawned on me until this rewatch. I'm like... That's what it is. All you're hearing are the natural sounds of the rain and that fucking T-Rex, which again, watching it downstairs, and you know, we have a a good TV and an okay sound system, but it made me think, oh God, that's what it was about seeing Hmm. in the theaters. That's why I kept going back because to hear the sound of that T-Rex for the first time in the movie theaters you know, that's it. You know, like you're saying about that, that moment in, in, in what's love got to do with it, that you're going to take, like, if you're going to take any sequence or moment from this movie, you take that sequence, put it in a time capsule. That's it. I mean, and it's just, I made a, I made lists throughout this. I made, I made lists. I was like, what are my favorite Spielberg films? What are my favorite Spielberg moments? What are the best performances in Spielberg films? I was like making lists while I was watching it. And the T-Rex sequences in my, Top five great Spielberg moments. What's your number one great Spielberg moment? What which which moment from the terminal is your number one <laughs> greatest? Number five, the T Rex sequence, first T Rex sequence yeah. from Jurassic Park. Number four, Elliot and E.T. sharing their brains in E.T. Ah. when uh, uh, E.T.'s at home in the bathrobe getting drunk and Elliot's in the school. Oh, that's with wonderful. The, uh, uh, dissecting the frogs uh, or not dissecting the frogs. Yeah. Number three, the precog sequence. In Minority Report, Tom Cruise with Samantha Morton, and she's leading him around that shopping mall, helping him escape. Oh, it's yes. an amazing yes. scene. Minority Report scene. is one of my favorite Spielberg movies ever. Number two, Quint's speech from uh, Jaws. Jaws, yeah. yeah. And number one, the opening of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the big anything goes sequence. In, oh, wow. Uh, I love that whole big You just, you just lost me. Oh. <laughs> no. I, I love that sequence. Fantastic. I love that sequence, but I would never put that as. Uh, I don't one. think I'd put that as my number it's, one. The part, it's the part of a Spielberg. <laughs> it's the part of a Spielberg movie I've watched the most times. Anything goes. That T Rex scene is. Yeah. It's 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 unbelievable. You wonder, and you fuck. You do wonder how the movie will top it, and then I think, to my mind, it does with the Velociraptor chasing the kids. Yes. Oh, yeah. it's, it's actually that's fantastic does too. Top it actually does for top me. It. 
the T-Rex scene because hmm, you're absolutely okay. you're right on the money. That's the thing I remember about seeing this movie is that, oh, no, hang on a minute. The realization hitting it, me and my sister, I told you we watched it together in that early morning preview at Cine- Cineplex Odeon. Re- the realization of how fucking much this movie is an actual horror movie. It could have made mm-hmm. my, you know, it, it was in contention for making my top 10 horror movies um, when hmm. we did when they when we did that list, because it is just as much a horror movie as it is an action adventure for me. It's so, so, so scary, especially that sequence um, where the velociraptors are chasing the kid. They sit down. There's a moment of calm, which is brilliant, where it's, it's so like, brilliant. oh, we're going to do what kids do, which is eat sweets and eat. And, yeah. you know, and, she, and she eats the fruit and stuff. And then the jello starts to go. Yeah. And then, oh, my God, everything after that is it's right. It might as well be fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's that scary. <laughs> It's that it's fucking excellent. scary. It's so well done when she's trying to close that little metal door and she can't. And then and oh then you God. realize it's the reflection. That's it's one of the, the most reflection. brilliant, one of the most brilliant it's, scenes. It's, so, it's yeah. really, really brilliant. And you, I will and the, say it's not that it tops the T-Rex scene. I don't think it tops it, mm. but it does up the ante in a very successful way because you think you think once you've had that that T-Rex sequence and then the the secondary T-Rex sequence where he's chasing the the Jeep and Jeff must Goldblum's go faster, back must there. go That's faster. So yeah. great. After yeah. that, you're like, well, what what can quote unquote top it? And I don't think the Velociraptor sequence is better per se, but it does up the ante because once you've had your kind of fill of T-Rex for a while, then the mm-hmm. Raptors come in a whole new threat. They become the villains of the movie. Yes. Oh, and yeah. then at the last second, the T-Rex is the hero, hero of, the, of movie. the movie. And that's well, what's fucking and that's, great. I think it was so brilliant that Crichton was like, everyone knows the T-Rex, everyone yeah, knows the Brontosaurus, right. like the T-Rex is the scariest. I'm going to come up with something. I'm going to introduce a dinosaur that's actually, that doesn't seem as scary as the T-Rex, but is a hundred times more terrifying yeah, more lethal, because they're fucking smart more, yeah. and they're lethal and they're hunters. What kind of metabolism do they have? What's their growth rate? They're lethal at eight months, and I do mean lethal. I've hunted most things that can hunt you, but the way these things move. A fast for a biped? Cheetah speed? 50, 60 miles per hour if they ever got out in the open. Do they show intelligence? With the brain cavity. They show extreme intelligence. Even problem solving intelligence. Especially the big one. We bred eight originally, but when she came in, she took over the pride and killed all but two of the others. That one. When she looks at you, you can see she's working things out. That shot of of the T-Rex and the, the, the banner, you know, yeah, with the dinosaurs running it. That's one of my favorite shots it's, in a movie. I, I just love it's it. It's, it's so, it's just brilliant. But I just love the fact that it's like, all the humans are going to die. They're good. They can't get out of this. The only thing that's going to save them is the T-Rex, not because the T-Rex is a hero and is saving them because as they've been saying it, as basically Malcolm and the, the and, and Grant and all the, the, the science has been saying from the beginning, these creatures are going to do what they do. The T-Rex isn't saving them because they're humans. The T-Rex is saving them because it's a fucking T-Rex and it wants to eat meat and it's the velociraptors are there. Yeah. So it's, it's nature just doing what nature does, which is sort of... You know, just like everything, you know, humans can't win over nature. Only nature can win. 
over nature, which is why, you know, which to me is another brilliant, it's so unexpected as well. Like you don't expect the T-Rex to burst in there and grab them, but yeah, of course it's going to do and that because they're animals. Yeah. They're in the wild. Like oh. now they've taken over and, and it's the just so great. And it, the Velociraptor's greatest strength is the thing that gets them killed, their movement, right? You know, it doesn't, oh, yeah. the Velociraptor yes. doesn't know what we know, which is that if you move, the T-Rex will stalk you and get you, you know? You're, yeah, and so that's, you're that's right. pretty awesome yeah, as that's well. Great. It's also introduced so well, because you say like, yeah, Velociraptor is not a thing we know. No. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or that most people, that the layman is is that familiar with. So it could have an effect of being like, what? It's just making up dinosaurs. There's just other things coming in now, you know, like amping it up in a cheesy way. But sure. the, the fact that it's introduced, introduced so brilliantly, the Sam Neill scene at the beginning with the claw introduced. Yeah. And so you learn what a great what a monologue. He I teaches us what a velociraptor for an audition. I want to do that monologue. It's brilliant. It, it's great. It's great. And it, and it does so much because it, it sets up basically the primary villain of the film, the velociraptor in a way. Right. It, it's that whole thing about Sam Neill's character. He dislikes children so much yeah. that he doesn't care if he he's care. quote unquote scarring yeah. the kid. Velociraptor's a pack hunter. You see, he uses coordinated attack patterns and he is out in force today and he slashes at you with this six inch retractable claw like a razor on the middle toe he doesn't bother to bite your jugular like a lion say no no he slashes at you here or here or maybe across the belly spilling your intestines point is you are alive when they start to eat you. So, you know, try to show a little respect. I've always loved this movie, but it's not my favorite Spielberg. There's something, there's a slickness about this You're that right. is latter-day Spielberg that is so different from the uh, almost cinema verite feeling of Jaws, Close Encounters, E.T. even. Sure. There's mm-hmm. something about it that's, it, it is a theme park ride. It is designed, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. It, yeah. it's like the uh, the mo of the film is to Hollywood. be a, the same theme yeah. park ride that the park is supposed to be, and it's so meta in the sense that it's the only movie I can think of where the logo, like what you would get on a baseball cap or the movie poster logo, it, it, you know, in the font it's and everything, is part of the, of the movie. Is is yeah. like is in the pl- <laughs> sure. is everywhere you look in the place. Never seen a movie quite like that. You know what I mean? It's not like <laughs> so. It's it's really interesting in that way. So there's a meta quality that he's playing with that's that's really fun and really clever, and also very but could be seen as crass commercialism because it's like, well, we're going to show you this Jurassic Park logo for two hours and 15 minutes. And you'll probably go out and buy T-shirts because every but but they play into that even in the sequels and the reboots and stuff in a really fun way. I I just think it's uh, I I think it's great. I think that, you know, it's a great design. That logo is great. The font is great. It's it. it, Hey, I'll take as much of it as I can get. But um, (laughs) You know, so there's a there's an overall slickness to it. The thing that I liked least and I wasn't a kid, you know, we were in our 20s when this came. The Sam Neill character, his arc. There's a thing about Spielberg and a lot of filmmakers of this of that generation. They get to a point where they become fathers and everything's about 
fatherhood and the themes that the, the things that are mm. um, important to them at that point in their life. And you see like mm-hmm. that just becomes a big part of all Spielberg's movies, whereas his earlier movies, it's all about the absent father. And, the, you know, and and he's he's just exploring yeah. his he's exploring his childhood when he's a younger filmmaker and he's sure. exploring his adulthood uh, when he's uh, in maturity. And I always was kind of like, I don't care. I don't care about Sam Neill's arc to like you liking still feel kids that or whatever. Way? No, oh, okay. it was the most important part of the movie to me this time. I felt that way most, too. I was like, was oh, so let me track his so character because I've never done that. And it's beautiful. I, yeah, I really tracked it. I was like, oh yeah, he is the lead of the movie. Yeah. He always seemed like a boring character to me. And I'm like, oh no, he's because Sam he's the Neil character. And Jeff Goldblum's so electrifying, but right. he drops out two thir- he, less than yeah. two words, yeah. thirds of the way through. He's not really part of the movie after he serves his function as the rabble rouser and Correct. the like uh, the chaos theory espouser and the comic relief. Then he kind of goes bye-bye. He's just, I was shocked by how, I was like, how much of this movie is J- Jeff Goldblum just being like comforted with a wool blanket by Richard Attenborough. Oh, this is like, this is the worst gay porn I've ever seen. No, but, but it was like, Oh, he's really kind of, or the best. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of neutered. That character is kind of neutered uh, yeah. halfway through. Which and was, then, of I remember a complaint the at the time. Role, I remember in some of the reviews at the time, people were like, we want more gold because he was time, so electrifying. Yeah, well, it yeah. stuck out to me like a sore thumb this time. I will yeah. say, I was like, did something happen? Did he actually break his leg on set? <laughs> did something happen that made him not be able to be part of the movie? I really was wondering, I was trying to do research. It was the one thing I was really digging into is like, why does he drop out of the movie? And I yeah. think part of it is that, you know, screenplay went through David Coep, it went through different levels. They were going to cut that character entirely no, and no. meld him with Sam Neill's character and make that take, right, take Malcolm yeah, and, and, and uh, uh, what's his name, Dr. Allen's Grant, character, Alan Grant, Grant. And, and kind of combine them. And they decided not to. And they do provide such a strong counterpoint to each other and to very different facets, which it's exciting yeah. to have those perspectives. But then I guess there is a point in the movie where you don't need. Goldblum's perspective anymore and he's not really at the uh he's not at the the uh the core of this nuclear family that's being made through the course of the movie so right. he's the weird uncle and so he he's the wacky next door neighbor and so he can stay next door under his wool blanket so uh, you yeah. know it was, that's fine but um yeah no Sam Neill really popped for me in this, and a couple uh, of observations rewatch. about that is is you know you kind of made a joke about it in the intro Jason of like you know you don't have a star <laughs> here with star power you don't have a lead here that had star no. power at least not yeah. at the time you know no. this that's because it's not about that the stars are the dinosaurs well, that's yeah. the thing you know know that's the thing about yeah, the movie and, yeah. and it, you surround you 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 get he is essential i found him at the time essentially utilitarian you know but in, in mm-hmm. this rewatch he was not he truly did emerge as like the lead and and the main character um you brought up you know the sort of relentlessness of the uh, of the the sort of jaws like you know um um aspects of this movie this movie also reminds me a lot of a movie called westworld which they've now made into an hbo oh, series oh, yeah. absolutely it, it's kind of the it's same very similar theme you know as far as like hey don't mess with this in that it's like don't mess too much with technology uh, and ai yeah, i think michael Crichton didn't michael Crichton write i believe he, he, right. I believe he yeah. did so so obviously there's sort of like a i feel like <laughs> maybe the genesis of this was spielberg going hey let's do westworld but with dinosaurs because it is a theme park that Richard Benjamin and uh, and 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 James Brolin go to to like yeah. you know to have yeah. fun and it is open like it's open to the public and then Yul Brenner you know Yul Brenner's robot goes nuts and uh, and decides to, uh, uh, to to stalk them and hunt them just like what happens in this movie with the with the Velociraptors yeah. Yeah. but um, 
you know, the, Sam Neill carries that little velociraptor toenail around, like the claw, yeah. right? Yeah. And because and what I tracked this time watching it was like, oh, because he's a scientist, he's a digger, right? They're like, we got to get a, he, he's a, he's a, he's, he's the best digger, right? And he digs things up and then keeps them as, well, not according to Sala. Salah's the best Someone digger say in Egypt. the best digger. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and that's so funny because he's sort of a father figure, right? To Indy, you were talking about fathers before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he keeps this as like a souvenir, as a remembrance, a, a memento. Yeah. And it's a curiosity, right? It's Isn't this curious and interesting, this thing? And then as he discovers the real dinosaurs are actually really here and here's what we assumed about them. Here's what we didn't know. Here's what we did know. Here's what we're learning right now in the present moment about them and how they move, how they hunt, how they kill. That was fascinating to me. But yeah. also because they're also sort of hybridized, you know, with with frogs or with th- there's an unpredictability right. to what they're going to do. And we there is the possibility then of mistakes having been made in the process. I never saw this before, but when they first enter the lab, what's B.D. Wong, the main scientist, doing? Did you catch it? I just thought he was singing like taking, excerpts from M. Butterfly. <laughs> I just thought he was like taking notes on a. On a he's on he's a memorizing lines for Law and Order. No, he's <laughs> he's erasing. He's furiously erasing, which means something Ooh. on his little clipboard is an error. <gasps> he's going like this. Oh, he's you. erasing the shit out of his clipboard. And it's, that's oh, the wow. first thing we see the main Jurassic Park scientist doing is oh, clearing up so a mistake. And so it's like, smart. wow, this is it's giving you the whole arc of it right right fucking there of like there these people are fallible. You can't make something yeah. that's supposed to be infallible with fallible humans. The other thing I didn't like about this is they should have gotten Paul Hogan to play the Australian guy. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I love that guy. I love Muldoon. Muldoon is great. He's great. But Paul oh. Hogan was available. He was available. <laughs> he was painfully <laughs> available. And I love, and yes, and Sam Neill, I felt the same exact way. I mean, I liked him when I saw it, but I felt the same way. I'm like, is he sort of boring? Uh, and, and then again, there's something which I'll, I'll get to at the end, but um but I really, I, I really liked his arc and I liked also how it tracks. He's still, he, he didn't turn into a complete, he never turned into a complete softy. He still kept that morbid sense of humor. Like when he grabs the electrified fence, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. still trying to fuck with the kids and scare them with the threat of death. So like, like being a that's good dad. still, tr- yeah. yes, but it's, <laughs> so that still tracks. So he doesn't, he, you know, he's not like this guy in the beginning who's talking about, you know, your intestines are going to come out and <laughs> right. he's like, come here, give me a hug. He's still <laughs> the same guy, but he's yeah. just become a little more open, but I thought he was great. I thought Laura Dern was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the kids were fantastic. Oh, they're, they're terrific. Great. They're both and you, wonderful. You know, and you, you mentioned the queen movie earlier, Joseph Mazzella grew up. He's the bass player. I know you said in, that in, during uh, the uh, Siren yeah. Birch show. Siren Birch review. That's yeah. right. Ariana Richards, was, what happened to her? She's dynamite. She's great. You know what? So I remember reading an article shortly after that movie came out and it was really sad to me. Now in the book, those characters are reversed. In the book, the girl is like a real tomboy, if I remember correctly. And she's the one who's like really into dinosaurs. And it's the boy who's younger, who's really into computers. Mm. And they switched it because Spielberg, I read, loved, he met met Joseph Mazzella for Hook. And he's like, you're too Uh young, but you're great and I want to work with you. Great. So we ended up casting him in this and, and flip the roles around, mm. I guess. But I remember reading an article at the time that he was getting all this work and, and it was really hard for her 
to get more work. And I don't know why, why? because she's, I, I don't she's know. Dynamite. She's so good. She's like Elle Fanning great. before we had Elle Fanning. I mean, she's that yeah. fucking good. Jimmy, what is it? It's a velociraptor. It's inside. You know, it, it, it's got to be so hard, you know, and we, we've heard this now, especially with all the actors on like the, the MCU movies that like you're basically playing to a tennis ball on a stick mm. in front of a green screen. Right. You know, how do you do that? I mean, but they they all do it so well. You buy, you know, you buy the dinosaurs, you buy so much of it because of what the actors are doing. That's right. I think I, that's what I really got watching this time. I'm like, I, I'm I'm terrified because Laura Dern is terrified yeah, and yeah. I'm really buying her the fact that this is actually happening. And yeah, it's, it's a great, the, the cast does a great it's job. It's one of those first uh, uh, examples of that, that, you know, the oft mocked Spielberg, like, what? like everybody likes their <laughs> taking their glasses yeah. off and like the cameras mm-hmm. moving, you know, it's banking. So like, it's like all of a sudden the perspective is above them and their mouths are hanging agape. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been so oft parodied that it makes you laugh a little bit when you, when you watch it in context, just a little bit, but, um, no, they are all great. And you know what I was thinking? I was like, she's, so, cause I thought, Oh, that girl, wasn't she in Jumanji? Wasn't she in the, I was like, oh no, mm. Kirsten Dunst looks just like her at this like age that. too. Like yeah. she's about the oh, same age yeah. and, and she kind of got a lot of that kind of work. And, yeah. and uh, I, I don't know because she is great. I, to me, I just thought, oh, she, you figure like sometimes kids just drop out of it, right? They just like, they do something and they're like, yeah, it wasn't wasn't for me or I did some and then I focused on my school work. I got into like, you know, soccer or whatever, you know, and you think like kids, you know, they might kids do <laughs> they go different things. paths. Yeah. But, um, but I, I remember thinking that too. I was like, God, she's really so, so good. Um, Samuel you know, L. Jackson he, never worked again after this movie. He never, never did. Again. He never did. Wayne but the cigarette Knight did. Never. The cigarette in his mouth worked. <laughs> this constantly. was one when like Samuel Jackson was like just a utility player. Yeah, he sh- he shares right, like right ninth billing on, a, on the title card with Wayne Knight. I'm like, wow, yeah. one of our biggest, biggest stars. But not but at the time. Wayne Knight is a very large man. You're no. right. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. He was great too. But Wayne Knight, you know, Wayne Knight, much more famous than Sam Jackson at this point. At the time. Hello, Newman. Um. There are the there are the things that are Spielberg's so he's so smart and he's so so clever that he he's like I want to see all these people climb the electric fence so I'll have forty five year old Sam Neill be like huh this opening's not big enough for me to get through in the fence but meanwhile both kids could easily have climbed through those holes both kids easily easily could have gone through a gap and he would have been the only one who had to climb there's another moment like that in the movie where it's like right well if you make that yeah i can't remember if i have a note somewhere but it's a very similar thing where to make the uh, to to create the effect he wants us to to experience he will show us something that makes us think oh that's the only way, or this is impossible. Oh, I know blah, exactly blah, blah. what it is. It's What's oh, the, the circuit breakers are on the other side of the park. Oh, fuck you, screenplay. Okay. Right. <laughs> the, the Samuel one. L. Jackson literally hits three things that look like a giant circuit breaker. And then he's like, well, the circuit breakers. It's like, are you yes, kidding yes, me? Yes. They didn't install them right next to the main switches. They put them on the other I side. It was odd. Stupid. That when Newman was escaping, 
to get to the dock, he had to go through the park. That was the only moment this rewatch going, wait, oh. why does he have to go through the Can park? Can you tell me, what is he doing when he when he's stuck there and then he gets that that, that hook from the front of the Jeep? It's the winch. What's he doing when he ties it around? Wait, it, what's he going to do with it? He, he's, going to use, he's going to use that as a winch. In other words, he's going to, he's basically going to crank the, not hand crank it, but, but uh, mo- it's basically a motorized towing that he's going to use the the weight of the the strength of the tree to basically right. pull his car out forward into the the <laughs> like and tip over the point is you got to back up out of there you can't go forward the car he's in worse shape if he if that works he's fucked <laughs> maybe he wanted to take the off tre- the side of a maybe he wanted to take the tree with him he want he wanted I don't know yeah. I was like this actually doesn't make any sense maybe I was he wondering thinks that it's as well this time James. I never thought that before and I was like logistically <laughs> what does he think he's gonna do with that and we're watching it like yeah yeah you gotta do that so because then you'll get out quicker you'll you're f- truly fucked if you do that yeah yeah you probably anyway i mean he's fucked either way but i was like yeah the mechanics of that don't make any sense mm. to me god i'm trying to think trying to find the other note about what the other little uh oh, no, the circuit breakers thing i literally went boo I, I said that to the screen i was like oh boo with the circuit breakers the on circuits. the other side but you know what that it's such a trope then this thing is full of tropes and it's like, yeah, okay, no, yeah. it's fine. I mean, it, it, fucking Alec Guinness has to shut off the, <laughs> shut off the tractor beam, which is like deep in the bowels of the fucking thing, you know? So always someone has to take a journey <laughs> right. to get to right. the actual thing that will make escape possible. So oh, it's a trope. This is the one, this is the, this is the thing that doesn't make any sense. There. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the, the the velociraptors are coming through the, to the control room. Sam Neill and Laura Dern are trying to hold the door. Yes. There's a gun there that they're trying to reach and she's trying to get it with her foot. <laughs> Tell the kid. There are two kids staring at the computer. <laughs> One kid is a hacker. The other kid is just a kid who's doing nothing. Yes. Say, but hey, they've kid. I got him like, oh, like, but I got to look at the screen. I'm so sorry. I was like, I was like, you have a fourth character there who could do something. <laughs> right. But Spielberg's like, yeah. Yeah, let's just make it that you're really into that computer screen <laughs> with your sister. That's you're two right. feet away. You could That's help, right. but no. Yeah. yeah. That was the moment. That, but anyway, agree. anyway, totally whatever. Agree. Picking at a brilliant, you know, I totally fun, agree with exciting you. Movie. Yeah. The one the one little peccadillo that I mentioned in the beginning that I still feel that I wish they did. And I remember talking about this the very next day with Josh in this diner. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, it's the one thing that I, I wish they did a little differently. It's the last shot, the very last shot of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's them in the helicopter and, you know, he's got the kids in his arms and they're, they all each have their like little separate realizations. You know, John Hammond realizes that this is, you know, his dream is done. It's gone awry. And, you know, Sam Neill and Lord Dern have their own thing. Like, like you said, like this family has been now, created. Yeah. Right. And then he looks out and he sees the birds, which is like, oh, I was right, which is great. But then that's what it's left with. So the final shot is from behind of the helicopter leaving. And right before that, you see the birds. So to me, it's like, oh, he's right. It's, it's, it's someone saying, see, isn't this a cool theory? It's dinosaurs are birds and they're going away. What I wanted to happen and I, I'm like, I can't believe they didn't do this. And then you see, you know, directed by Steven Spielberg. You wanted more like an ending like Sweet Dreams where they crash into the side of the mountain. <laughs> exactly. 
I wanted Tina Turner. Space. I wanted it to end more like what's love got to do with it. With her just like sweating and smiling. Yeah. And the, the keyboard player with the, the tank top and the long curly hair is jamming out in the back. How did you sorry. not get that part, by the way? That's why. I, I auditioned. Oh, I didn't have, my hair wasn't curly enough. I'm sorry. I don't you know why this? they're filming the helicopter pan around the last shot should have been a shot of the island and this might sound cheesy Mm. but of the island and then hear a fucking t-rex roar because (laughs) that's what the movie the fact of the matter it always bothered me that they left but they're like but you still have an island full of dinosaurs of course there's gonna be a fucking sequel let's not play coy with that you know this is the biggest movie in the world (laughs) but even if you're not gonna have a sequel leave it on this note of because the book and I, I hate to compare the movie to the book the book ends on a dark note the the book ends with them basically like all quarantined on this island you know where like mm. things have, have really there, there's reports that some of the dinosaurs have actually gotten off the mm. island now mm. um and basically grant says to this guy he's like you know when are we when, when are we when are we leaving and the guy's like you we're not no one's leaving for a very long time oh, dr no. grant like the idea like oh, this is out of control now like and and the government's got to come in and we've got to we got to keep people quiet about this. Wow. But it, it, it's about, you know, I, I just never understood, like, just pan around. That should be the last shot. That Now you have an island full of dinosaurs that are living there. They've taken over the ecosystem. Charlotte attack! And it, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a simple thing and it, it just, it bothered me when I first saw it. It still bothers me to this day. I just wish they did that because yeah. the, the end doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make it, sense. It doesn't seem to go with the rest of the movie. I'm like, I don't give a fuck I that, that dinosaurs evolved from birds or birds evolved from dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I think, no. I think the me- Show the island. I, I totally agree with you. They absolutely should have panned around to the island as the final shot. It does shot. seem like a soft, wet fart. But, I, th- yeah. <laughs> but I think the point of showing the the birds at the end um, is is to basically say, look, we, we we don't mess with the natural world. Don't don't mess with the fact that we still have dinosaurs. They happen to be birds now. You know, don't mess with natural evolution. It's basically yeah. all of the warnings that they. You know, don't make Frankenstein's monster. Don't do that. Sure, if the birds attacked the helicopter, that would have been something. Well, but I, this the was, original ending was the bird uh, flew really close to the plane and just sort of looked in at Sam Neill and just winked and then flew away. <laughs> it was like ding and flew away. But they cut that. They felt it was too sappy. Yeah, that's my only thing. I mean, like, is it, rewatching the movie? Yes, there. Are, you're absolutely right, Jason. And then, you know, there are moments here and there. You're like, really? But I don't know. It's just such a fun. And you said it before. It's a ride. It's a fun ride from start to yeah. finish. And I was just, I was just so impressed that I'm like, wow, man, they're really keeping up this sense of tension and like quiet, building dread and peril, and then. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was, I, I just had a great time, and it reminded me why I saw it so many times in the theater. Because I'm like, I want to see this on the big screen yeah. again. I want to experience this over and over and over again. You know, the last, the last shot, notwithstanding, I still think it, it, it still holds up as a really super, super fun movie I, in a way. And I think that's a reason why I haven't seen it. I saw the second one, and bleh. it was like, eh. I think I saw the third one and thought, well, that's a little better, but completely unmemorable. And I haven't seen any of the reboots, 
mostly just because I just want to keep this one, like the experience yeah. of this. They're not, none of them so exciting to fun. me. Jurassic is World it? is fun, I, no, and I, it I've makes heard you. It, is. It, it feels like Jurassic. 2015 is very interesting year. Jurassic World comes out, and you feel like you're watching Jurassic Park again. Not that it's as good. It very craftily. It's like it does something to your 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 hormones and the chemical composition. It hits all the beats in a way between the music and the cinematography and the effects and the characters. It. Much like The Force Awakens does in making you feel like, oh, I'm watching Star Wars again. Mm -hmm. Jurassic World makes you feel like, oh, wow, I'm watching Jurassic Park again. It's the most successful at recreating the feeling of Jurassic Park yeah. uh, of, of any of the movies that have come after. Lost <laughs> World is weird. I like Lost World, actually. I don't hate it. I really don't like Jurassic Park 3 with William H. Macy. Mm -hmm. That's real bad. Yeah. And uh, the second Jurassic World movie is is a is that one weird. I haven't doesn't seen. really. It's not so good. I, I'm looking forward to the third one. I think it'll be fun because all the original actors are coming back for oh, it and stuff. That's cool. oh, okay. I didn't like Dominion. Jurassic World because too many of these kinds of scenes, kids running from dinosaurs who are trying to kill them, trying to kill them and going, woohoo, awesome, rock and roll. Like they, they, <laughs> they literally are reacting as if they are on a roller coaster ride at a theme park. And it's like, no, no. you wouldn't be. You would be doing what the kids in Jurassic Park 1 do, which is yeah, no, fucking shitting their pants with terror. Ah, the French. I could have used seven less of these moments, M much like in Lord of the Rings, where, where Frodo opens <laughs> his hand really slowly and it's the ring 946 times. We get that same shot. I could have used seven less of Richard Attenborough is turned away from the camera he turns slowly toward the camera. They zoom in on his face, usually from underneath. He leans in and goes, I've never seen anything like this. And reality is the situation. And I, I can't speak. And then we cut away. That, that happened 17 times. I could have used seven less of those. <laughs> yeah. See, I wanted the moment between him and Jeff Goldblum with Jeff Goldblum underneath the blanket right. and the gay porn version of this yes. where Richard Attenborough, where they zoom in on Richard Attenborough, just staring at Jeff Goldblum's naked, injured penis. Staring at his, staring at his, staring at his Jurassic pork, as it were. Oh. <laughs> Let's preserve this in amber. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, God. <laughs> How many shielders? I'm going to give this one a big old nine Sheila's. It's, uh, it's not, like I said, it's not my favorite uh, movie by any means. It's not my favorite Spielberg movie. Uh, but th the movie itself combined with my love of seeing it in the theater. I just think it's one of those movies that it's just such a fun ride. And I just think about, and, and watching it this time really brought me back to just, fuck, that's why I love going to, to the movie. Like that's, this is a movie with a big capital M O V I E. Yes. And it's just it was a lot of fun. So I'm giving it nine Sheila's. Danny. I'll go nine on it as well. Nine. I'm also, I am also a nine and I like it more. I, I like it more as time goes on. I always liked it, but it did. It had like a, I was like, oh, this is like, this is, this is, this is Spielberg. This is this new wave of Spielberg where he, where he was kind of bifurcating and he was like, I do my popcorn movies and I do my real movies. I'm doing Jurassic Park yeah. and Schindler's List. I'm doing The Lost World and Amistad. I'm doing War of the Worlds mm -hmm. and Munich in the same yes. fucking year. And he was really mm -hmm. like, 
Yes. Whereas things like Jaws and E.T., he was making as if he was making a fucking Oscar winning masterpiece. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they, were, they were close encounters has the port close encounters is, is like Lawrence of Arabia or something. I mean, it's there's huge. just something yeah. about yeah. them where he kind of wound up compartmentalizing in a funny way. And at that time when Jurassic Park came out, the movies of our youth, you know, our, our earlier youth were still so fresh that I could feel, I could feel the difference and, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a this is an off road for him stylistically that is super successful, super effective, super fun, but not as complex as his earlier fantasy films. That said, it's still a nine for me. And I like it more pretty much every time I see it. I appreciate it more. It's more fun. It's more like I say, I got more out of the whole Sam Neill arc this time. It's Kate's favorite Spielberg movie because she's younger than us. I think maybe that's why I like it more, too, because I watch it with her like every year. We watch it at least once a year. My, It's my, one of totally. my wife's favorite all time movies is Jurassic Park. She yeah, was disappointed Kate that too. we couldn't watch it together. We're not, you know, I'm out of town right now. But she, and the music. Yeah. The I, there's great. not there. I, there's not a yeah. song that I sing like just I'll, as I was doing before when we were before we started recording I'll just go around going I do that all the time I love that music at the stupidest moments John Williams is supernatural I don't know how he ca- how does he I don't do know it? how he creates so Doesn't many make sense it's so incredible, simple incredible themes yes amazing themes simple mel- melodies super simple three four notes you know and it's like incredible This movie wrapped 12 days ahead of schedule. Wow. Yes, I Which remember to me reading was, that. Wow. That's mind-blowing to me. You know, this huge mammoth, especially when you hear the stories of Jaws, you know, which took like nine right. years to make because everything kept breaking. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's I couldn't believe that. I, like, that's, that's, that's pretty huge to wrap any movie that ahead of schedule. Yeah. But something like this, I thought, wow, that's a fucking... That's got to be a testament to, to Steven Spielberg. Was it on its budget? Yeah. That's something I read about Christopher Nolan all the time. He's always been early and under budget with every movie he's ever made. And, he's like, Unbelievable. and he prides himself on it. He's like, he's like, this is, you know, I can't be wasting people's money and I can't be wasting people's time. And I yeah. think Spielberg has gotten to that point, too, because I remember I even think I think he wrapped Schindler's early. too. I think he got into a group where he and maybe it was the Jaws experience of like you have that kind of a nightmare experience and you're like, I, I just have to. You know, certain things are out of your control, but as much right. as you can, you're the captain of the ship. It's like, and the I'm fact he was he was wor- he was time. working on Schindler's List and Jurassic Park at the same time. <gasps> I know he was Wait, editing Jurassic Park while he was filming Schindler's List in Poland. That's Isn't insane. That that's the thing that blows my that's mind. Insane, crazy. Wow. But see, it's that thing, that's that bifurcation of his brain. You know, it yielded brilliant movies. This and Schindler's List, brilliant movies, yeah. completely different. And yes, and certainly up there with all of his best stuff. But it is funny how. It's just a slight compartmentalization that I sense, you know, where he's just saying, I'm going to use these tools for this job. and I'm going to use these tools for this job. Whereas I feel like he used to use them all on every project Mm, early on. Uh, Interesting. Anyway. Here comes the mail. So mail sack, we have uh, actually something from a fan of the podcast, Tim 
Warenko, right, Fred? He's got two things related to the natural. One, uh, um, so this is sort of cool. He grew up with Rico Bronia. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Bronia, yes. Bronia, player for uh, Detroit. Is that? Am I correct in that? Or used to be? Used to be. Also for the Mets for a brief shining moment. So he said that growing up, their town had one little screen, uh, one little screen theater. They showed movies for a dollar, and Rico went to go see that movie every single night it played, and he went alone. That's beautiful. He went every night to the okay. dollar theater. But uh, okay, but this is cool. So he was talking about we were talking about uh, you know the light and shadows, Dan. Regarding yes. the beauty, yes. Regarding the beauty, this is what he wrote. Regarding the beauty of the light, a friend of mine was an assistant cameraman for Caleb Deschanel <gasps> and worked with his kit. And there, in his box of lenses and filters, there is a special filter he had made just for that shot with Glenn Close with the angelic hat. Oh, it was uh, now. Wait, this is we're we're gonna get really uh, nerdy here. It was, he writes, it was a neutral density filter, meaning that it just dims the light but doesn't change the color, except for where her face and hat were in the frame. That wow. portion was ground out of the glass, so she would be noticeably brighter than everything, than everything around her. That dedication to craft and the artistry of what they are doing was beautiful to me. It's lovely that you guys mentioned that moment. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a picture of it because I'm so old that things happen in my life before cell phones. Anyhow, mm-hmm. thanks for another great show. But isn't that cool? That's really awesome that's unbelievable now i was only paying attention to like 30 percent of that what is the connection to rico bronia and the lens how are they connected rico rico was the ball player who was inspired by the the natural how does tim have it he doesn't have a goddamn picture two stories two different stories two different stories this has nothing to do with rico bronia the first part is Rico Bronia. <laughs> Tim went to school with Rico Bronia, who as a kid saw The Natural at the Dollar Theater every night. It was a beautiful story because he went on to become a professional baseball player. He's inspired by it. That's one and thing. Rico the was friends thing, with the Deschanel's? No. You son oh. of a bitch. And you know this is not right. You're doing it on purpose. <laughs> Your brain is not time. that addled. You're not that addled. <laughs> You just, you're, you, they should change your name to Mon Key Wrench. You, that's what you are. <laughs> be a new, new character in the Star, Star Wars, Wars Cantina. <laughs> Mon Key Wrench. Hey, okay. Mon Key Wrench. <laughs> so what you're saying, okay, well then what is Tim's connection to the Deschanel family? What is his actual connection? He doesn't have a connection. It was a friend of his. A friend of his was the assistant cameraman for Caleb Deschanel. Now and he I got understand. to see, and, and so he got to see his kit. Finally, you're telling it clearly. I'm no, kidding. you told it just fine. That's wonderful. Um, let me tell you something. Today, that would all be done with computers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Back then, they had to, gr- what do you say? He had to grind out the glass? Yeah. That's crazy. Nobody, who's doing that today? I know. Who's doing that today? No yeah. one. Mm-hmm. They're not even, I mean, that's artistry. That's yeah. artistry and craft. Now it's all fucking nerds at computers. <laughs> I'm tired of these nerds. They're ruining everything. Charlotte attack! We, we got a couple responses. We got some responses oh. about the, the favorite comedies. And one thing that came up a lot, one movie that came up a lot, was uh, The Big Lebowski. Right. A lot of people right. mentioned uh, uh, both... Um, Bridges. Uh, uh, oh, my God. I couldn't remember his name. Jeff Bridges. John and Goodman. someone who almost made my list was John Goodman mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. I saw a list somewhere when we were trying to come up with our stuff, and I was like, who am I missing? Who am I missing? 
they had John Goodman number one, number one comedic performance of uh, all time. I was like, he's wow. pretty damn great in, in that Lebowski. movie. Wow, in wow. Big Lebowski, yeah. <laughs> no, in, in the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I would put him there for Revenge of the Nerds. He's great. I'd put he's him in there for great. Punchline as Sally Fields' uh, husband. <laughs> yeah. He's great. That's right. The one he was person not trying that. to do comedy for the funniest <laughs> performance in the movie. You know what was interesting too? I went back and I was listening to what was the episode? I listened to Oh god damn it. It was it was an older Leprechaun? episode. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was our fourth episode. It was the one with um Blade Runner and the thing and uh That was number six. That was number six yeah, and Monty Python Live at the yeah. Hollywood Bowl because we're talking about, well, you guys are talking about Graham Chapman in the beginning and you mentioned right off the bat, right there, you mentioned, yeah, it reminds you of of uh, like Jim Carrey in Liar Liar or Steve Martin in All of Me, which were two performances that you brought up oh, on, on last episode. Yeah. That's right. What, was it the scene where he's... Uh, where he's wrestling, wrestling himself. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's great. But I was like, oh, look at that. So yeah, Jason doesn't stuff. just pull this shit out of his no, ass, you know? No. He really. I really do love this thing. Speaking yeah. of pulling shit out of your ass, the phone is ringing, you guys. The phone what? seems to be ringing. Oh, good is lord. It, is the phone in your ass? Well, uh, it depends on who's on the phone. But let's uh, let's pick up. <laughs> Hello, you're on the opening weekend podcast. Hello, well, welcome. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a phone call here. Uh, please uh, state your name and uh, your uh, business here. Uh, yeah, just wanted to, uh, just real briefly. Hey. Hello, guys. Hello. I haven't, haven't, up, uh, haven't seen you since the wedding. Yeah, what a wedding, huh? Wasn't that great? It was beautiful. Nice. It was beautiful. so good. Did you enjoy yourselves while watching it on, uh, on uh, Zoom? On Zoom, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it would have been nicer to be there, I'm sure. Or yeah. more disturbing. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's a lot of, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, as Al said on the day, uh, there's a lot of nature. There's a lot of nature there, <laughs> and I contributed to that as well. He Jacob right. Joseph, I'm on with the uh, I'm on with the boys. Uh, hi, say hi. Okay, I'm, uh, Jacob Joseph says hi. He's uh, he's in the back room. Uh, how are you doing? Back? Are you doing? Okay. Do, do, do. He's got a new. He, he's using Huggies now instead of the uh, instead of the uh, uh, Pampers. So he switched over. Oh, okay. Um, just wanted to run a couple quick. The elastic quick, hurts. Don't put it on your skin. Don't put it directly Snaps. on your skin. Yeah. How else am I going to get it on? It puts the lotion on its skin. Now listen. Opening weekend podcast sponsored by Huggies. <laughs> he's, Sorry, go he's on, Adam. Over. Yes, no. Uh, uh, just wanted to run a couple of quick business ideas by you. I had one. Jacob Joseph had one. Uh, you know, pinches. Just quick. Would you please just don't put it pinches? Well, I told you not to use the the, the safety pins. Just use the the sticky part. Use the sticky part, not that sticky part. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Um, just real quick. What do you think? What do you think of this? Okay. Go ahead. Now look. Real quick. What are the tallest? What are the tallest animals? What are the tallest animals? Uh, giraffes. Correct. The tallest oh. animals are giraffes. Okay. Oh, good. Now. It seems like it's it's a, a, it's an easy switch. It's an easy switch to do. You get those, you know those those T Rex costumes that people are wearing that are sort of sweeping the nation. You know yes, that people yeah. are wearing all over the place and running around and videoing themselves. You get bigger versions of those for giraffes. Giraffic oh. Park. Giraffic Park, and you send people over there, and they're already tall. They already have the height of dinosaurs. 
very scary. You put them in those costumes, they can run around. But then here's the great thing, no danger for anything because giraffes are very docile. So you wouldn't run into a, a Richard Attenborough type of a situation. What do you think? That's not dense. Uh, you know, yeah. that could be that could be fun. That could be fun for small children. That's better than what I thought you were going to suggest, which was <laughs> like selling giraffes for meat and calling it giraffic pork. Oh, where you can like eat giraffe. Oh, I, no. That's where I thought this was that's going. A new idea. I'm not. I'm not. You know, advocating for that, but I thought that's where you were going. So this is this is nice. Can I take that I idea? Like you're, you're, can I take that idea and run with it? I, I really no, wish you would. Because, no, because I can get investors for that. I can get overseas yeah, investors. Yeah, no, I don't yeah, think we should be eating giraffes, Adam. Why not? I don't think we should be eating. They're, they're beautiful creatures and probably, I don't, know how many, I don't know how many sick fucks would have to try to eat giraffe meat for them to be placed <laughs> to, on an endangered species list. To make it profitable? List, but B- believe no, me, they're out no, there. They're I, out there, the people who would love to eat giraffic pork. A lot of good neck meat, though. That's true. Speaking of neck neck meat, Jacob Joseph, are you ready to join us with your idea? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He had an idea inspired by what's what's uh, what's love got to do with it. It was what's what again? It's it's called what's Dove got to do with it? And basically, it's every other soap that's not Dove. So you repackage every type of any type of soap, Um, Irish Spring. Life Boy. I don't know. What are the other soaps? Prell. That's a shampoo. Prell. But anything, anything that suds. Come suds like you your like friend, use- Fred. Like your friend, suds. Yeah. Oh, but anything right. that's a soap that's right. not Dove, you put on my sticker that says, what's Dove got to do with it? And try to <laughs> drive Dove out of the marketplace. Because I don't, I don't care for them. I don't care for them. No. I think it's a fine idea. No. I think it's a fine idea. Yeah. I mean, you have to get permission, I guess, from people. Or you just go into your local CVS or wherever, or soap okay. palace. I don't know where you buy soap, but, and you go <laughs> in with your own stickers. podcast, not sponsored by Dove. <laughs> So that's my idea. When Jacob, I came up with that on the fly. Good thinking, Jacob. When, when, when he says he doesn't know where they sell soap, he means that literally. He does not know. I I do all the buying of soap in this house, and and he saw me bring in some Dove. He said, I don't care for that. What's Dove got to do with it? I said, he said, wait a minute. Boom. And came up with yeah. the idea for the business. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And then- I just like that you guys are keeping your mind sharp and you guys are still working on business ideas and trying to come up with new stuff. I think it's it's great. You're like like the dinosaurs and Sam Neildon in Jurassic Park. You guys are evolving. You're constantly evolving. You know, Sheila's Sheila's with Richard now. She has fully evolved into that relationship. You know, I I didn't. I didn't object at the wedding, nor did Jacob Joseph. You know, we both used to date her at various times. Yeah, mm. you know, I, we, we, yeah, we remember. Yeah, and uh, uh, and uh, you know, there, there's there, we we have evolved. Sometimes I feel like I'm devolving. Sometimes, especially when Jacob Joseph makes me upset, like the other day, he spilled. Oh God, he spilled oatmeal on the floor, and it got a little bit of it got yeah. on my toe, and I got so angry. No, 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 go back, Wolf. Go back. Oh, wow. they hung up. Seems like something's going on with that guy's DNA, huh? Uh, there's some, mm, uh, who some, knows? Something happening there, right? A little devolution. You guys, if, if you <laughs> listeners want to find out no. what, uh, where these guys come from, some of you, this might be your first episode because you love Jurassic Park. You might be going, who, what, what just happened? Yeah. Go back. Go check out the iTunes, the Spotify, the Transistor, wherever you get your podcasts. 
That's Go right. back and take a listen. You'll hear the, the whole saga of Adam and Jacob Joseph yes. and I Sheila. I think we met them in episode Gryphus. seven. So you can uh, go check Right, because that, that was Baby's Day Out, right? They are the two yeah. young babies yeah. from Baby's Day the Out. Stars. The stars. The stars. <laughs> the shining stars of Baby's Day Out as adult yeah. men. I thought he might have been going with what's fudge got to do with it, since Adam, since Jacob Joseph likes fudge so much. Oh. And since he's usually covered in fudge head to toe. Um, and I thought that, uh, I, I love the fudge. idea. I love your idea, Fred, of, of, of uh, giraffic pork. <laughs> it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Whose time has come. <laughs> oh, uh, mercy, mercy, mercy. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for episode 53 of Opening Weekend. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, here's the deal. Now that live theater is rearing its head again, and everyone on this podcast is looking at a pretty busy summer. Uh, we're starting to move to a bi-monthly schedule here at opening weekend, so you'll be getting your fix of Sheila and the boys every other week for a while. Uh, so our next episode, which should drop in a couple of weeks, will see us revisit June 15th, 1990, and the two major releases of that weekend, Dick Tracy, Starring Warren Beatty, Madonna, and Al Pacino. And Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Starring Dan's favorite actor, Zach Galligan. Ugh. My favorite actress, Phoebe Cates. Mm. And what should be the world's favorite actor, John Glover. As Daniel Clamp, a Donald Trump-like uh, comic creation uh, that I, I'm a big, big fan of. He's a brilliant actor, and I think it's a very, very funny performance. Uh, but we will dive into both of those films next time on opening weekend. Dan, what you got for us? I can I can't imagine. There's no good music no, from this week's in either of these films. To, uh, yeah, no, neither of these movies. I think I have to go from a little. Oh, get, oh, try my hand. At the classic, what's love got to do with it? And then maybe we move into the Jurassic Park theme. What do you think? Let's Possibly? do it. Okay, let's see. Like that? Yes. There yeah. it was. Yeah. There it is. Good. Sound like you got eaten by a velociraptor. Yes, the I end. did. I definitely did. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Who needs a fart? When a fart <laughs> can be spoken um, <laughs> by your hands. <laughs> oh, see you soon, you motherfucker. Charlotte <laughs> <laughs> attack! The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.